I uh, came across an article a while back entitled, Is Evangelism Going Out of Style? It was very interesting. Here's a quote from the article. Uh, When asked if they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others, 73% of born-again Christians said yes. When this conviction is to put into practice, however, the number shifts downward. Only half, 52% of born-again Christians, say they actually did share the gospel at least once in the past year to someone with different beliefs in hopes that they might accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. So is this surprising that of those who identify as Christians, only 72% say that they even need to share their faith at all, and then only 52% did at all in the past year? I mean, after all, Jesus commanded us and his disciples to go out and to make disciples of all nations. According to the Bible, uh, every single believer has a personal responsibility to share his or her faith, the, the incredible grace of God with friends, family, neighbor, co-worker. But most Christians don't obey this command. So how about you? When was the last time that, that you shared your faith with someone? Perhaps you have a, a family member who may seem successful according to the, the world's standards but doesn't know Christ. And, and if so, have you ever shared the good news? And if not, you're not alone. Evangelism is, is something that, that Jesus commands, but it's really difficult. And I believe that, that at root, we're afraid of two things, of, of being either ridiculous or arrogant. So here are ways that, that we may fear being ridiculous. Oh, I'm not good with words. I won't explain it well. I'm a new Christian. I don't know the Bible. They'll think I'm a bigot or a fundamentalist. My friend is smarter than me, so I'll seem stupid or maybe misunderstood or rejected. On the other hand, here are ways that you, you may fear being arrogant. Uh, I don't want to seem like I have all the answers. I don't want them to think I'm better. Or I, I've seen evangelists on TV, and they have one of two possible career options, either the, the worst stereotype of a used car salesman or evangelist, and so we think, I don't want to be like that. And, and even in the culture, the, the word evangelist or evangelism has a bad connotation. So the question is, how do we become humble yet bold evangelists? And we'll see the answer to this question today from our, our text in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, that's okay. You, we have the Pew Bibles, so you can turn to page 1129 in the Pew Bibles. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you 
except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are people who are so fearful. Lord, we, we are people who, who fall into the, the fears of being arrogant or, or being ridiculous. But Lord, I thank you that, that even in our, our weakness, our fear and trembling, that you have spoken to us through your word. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and that, that we would understand what you want us to know and that we would be brought closer to Jesus Christ crucified. We pray in his name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the, the Greek city uh, in Corinth. It's a church that the Apostle Paul himself planted, which is, of course, interesting to me as someone who is being sent out to plant a church. Paul was this man who was an incredible theologian, but planted church, churches all around the, the Roman Empire. And here he's writing to this young, fledgling congregation because he's very concerned because they're, they're having a lot of problems. And specifically in our context that we've been looking at for the past a month or so, um, is the, the problem of divisions. So everybody has their, their own um, teachers. Everyone's saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas. And, and, and they can't agree really about, about anything. And, and so Paul is, is writing to remind them of the fundamentals. He, he's reminding them how he initially evangelized the city and how he preached Christ crucified. And this text teaches us how to become humble yet bold evangelists. And so we'll see this in in three ways. We can be humble yet bold evangelists because we're not the message. The message is Jesus Christ crucified, and the message is empowered by the Spirit. So we're not the message. The message is Jesus Christ crucified, and the message is empowered by the Spirit. But before I um, actually dive into these points, I just want to take a moment and address those of you here who, who may not be a Christian. Um, maybe, maybe you haven't gotten to the point where you feel like you're completely hopeless apart from Christ and, and you haven't yet trusted in Him for all that you are. Um, and if so, I'm very thankful that you're here. And, and I imagine that you're probably tempted at this point to say, okay, this sermon is going to be about evangelism. That's not something I need to know about. And so I think I can, I can slip out, go up maybe to Starbucks up the street and get a cup of coffee and make it back by the last song. Uh, but I believe on a, on a very deep level, you as well long for this, this humility and this boldness. Because you know people who are, who are so fearful that they, they seem ridiculous. And you, you know people who are so arrogant that you, you don't want to be around them. 
And I believe that here you can find a powerful way to, to see this humility and this boldness and find it in Christ himself. So the, the first point, we can be humble yet bold evangelists because we're not the message. And we see in our text that Paul wasn't the message. Look with me at verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, so in other words, when he initially planted the church, when he evangelized the city, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. So you'll notice here that that Paul is preaching this extremely lofty message. He he says it's a a testimony about God, but yet he says he, he did it without eloquence, without superior wisdom. And at first, it looks almost like this is false humility on Paul's part, because if, if you read his letters, he's clearly a very eloquent person. There are more doctoral dissertations written every year on the Apostle Paul than nearly anyone else in history. Um, so, so what is he saying? Well, he's saying that, that he didn't follow the, the academic public speaking conventions of his time. There was a group in the ancient world called the Sophists, and so when a sophist entered into a town, they wanted to be the, the main message. So they would figure out what the, their audience was interested in. They, they would speak about something their audience cared about, try to draw a large crowd. If they gained acceptance, they, they would found a school, maybe be granted citizenship, and then eventually become rich, powerful people in the community. They wanted to be the message. But Paul was, was not like the sophist. He came with humility because he, he was not the message. He spoke in a clear, direct style. And this is confirmed in, in verse 3. Look there with me. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. So Paul wasn't, wasn't the message because he was weak. I imagine some of you are, are coming in here feeling weak today in, in different ways. It's difficult to know what kind of weakness the Apostle Paul is, is talking about. Um, is it spiritual weakness, emotional weakness? Most likely he's talking about physical weakness because he, he was beaten and, and abused throughout his missionary journeys. And, and so quite likely the, the marks of that were visible on his, in his body. I mean, in our culture, we talk about somebody having to look presidential to be elected to the highest office of the land, right? They, they're generally tall. They have to seem confident. You, you look and say, oh, yeah, I could imagine that person looking like he's the president. Well, Paul most likely did not look presidential, and he wasn't running for office. But also, Paul wasn't the message because he was there in fear and trembling. Now, it, it, what is he afraid of? Is he, is he afraid of rejection? Well, he's not that different from us, right? We, I'm sure he was afraid of rejection. Is he afraid for the, for the salvation of the Corinthians? Probably. But we get insight into what he's talking about, actually, in another letter that he wrote to a church in Ephesus. Uh, so in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that servants should respect their masters with fear and trembling, the exact same phrase. And he's not saying that, that servants should live out of the, the fear of man or that they should be uh, people pleasers, but, but he's showing that they, saying that they should show humble, servant-like submission. 
And that's exactly what Paul did among the Corinthians. He showed this kind of humble, servant-like submission because he was not the message. So, so how about you? Where, where are you trying to be the, the message of Christianity? Are you trying to be the, the message to your friends, to your, to your family? Are you saying, well, when, when people see how nice I am or how kind I am, then they'll really desire Christianity? Because the problem is, is that when we make ourselves the message, we fall into the, those two extremes that we were talking about earlier. Uh, either we just don't speak at all because we're afraid of being ridiculous, uh, or we just end up preaching ourselves uh, and we become arrogant. Uh, I had an experience about a year ago, where I was, I was seeing a chiropractor, and he was quite hostile to Christianity. And we had a lot of good conversations. We, we talked about the, the historical reliability of the Bible, uh, about the relationship between faith and science, um, all kinds of things. And, and in the discussions, I, I tried to pull out all my seminary uh, arguments, and, and I did pretty well in the discussions, honestly, and probably won the, the debates. But then after I, I left, I realized, wait a second, I never once actually talked about the true message of Christianity. I, I was more interested in trying to prove that, that Christians are, are these thoughtful people and, and that I'm actually smart and that I've thought these things through and I just wanted to win. So I, I was preaching myself and, and becoming arrogant. But unlike me, Paul was humble because he was not the message. I mean, think of how many of us would introduce ourselves or, or put together a resume for a job and say, um, I don't have eloquence. I don't have superior wisdom. I'm often afraid and I, I tremble when I interact with people. And most of what I say doesn't make sense to anybody. And please call me back and, and consider me for this position. Uh, that, that even if that was true... Most of us would try to hide it. But Paul's, Paul's straightforward. He doesn't try to hide anything. He, he's humble. And likewise, we don't have to be afraid when we share our faith. We don't even have to be afraid of being afraid of, of the, the fear and trembling. It's okay if we don't have the, the eloquence according to the world's standards. At the same time, though, Paul was bold because he was not the message. When we enter into a room, maybe a, a party with, with friends, uh, you look around for somebody you know, a, a familiar face, and kind of gravitate that direction. But here's Paul in a city where he doesn't know anyone, preaching a message that nobody believes to people who don't want to hear it. But yet he has an incredible boldness and we can be bold evangelists as well. Because if people don't listen, they're not ultimately rejecting us. They're, they're rejecting Christ. And so when you enter into your, to your workplace or you enter into an awkward family reunion or, or whatever it is, you, you can have boldness because you're not preaching yourself. You're, you're so focused on your true message that you don't even have time to think about yourself. But then if we're not the message... Then, then what, what do we talk about? Uh, is it a, a moral teaching? Is it a, a philosophy? Is it a psychology? And this brings us then to the, to the second point. 
that we can be humble yet bold evangelists because the message is Jesus Christ crucified. Look with me at verse 1 again. So, so that's where Paul um, said that we are not the message. And then in verse 2, he, he gives the reason for this, the, the grounds of what he just said. For, because, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is saying that, that he decided to know, to, to know nothing but Jesus. So he was not the message because he decided to know nothing but the true message, which is Jesus Christ. Paul censored everything on Jesus. Now, he could have censored on, on so many things. Uh, he could have focused on the brutal slave system in Corinth or, or the violent entertainment industry of the Roman Empire or the, the rampant sexual immorality of his culture. And those things all sound familiar to us as well here. And, and don't get me wrong, Paul definitely cared about those things. But he chose to center everything on a Judean peasant who was crucified, executed by the Romans 25 years earlier in a distant province of the Roman Empire. And that would have seemed like complete foolishness to the Corinthians. That why this message? And of course, of course, it seems like foolishness today. Of all the messages, why this message? And we see the answer in three words in our text. The word Jesus, the word Christ, and the word crucified. The first word is, is Jesus. Jesus is our message because he's Jesus. The name means Savior. It means Yahweh saves. It was a common name in the first century, just as we know people named John. Uh, they, people would have known lots of people named Jesus. But the angel Gabriel told Mary that she should name his son Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And whether or not we recognize it, every single one of us desperately needs a Savior. And the reason is that we are all sinners. And that means that we, we fail to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this sin separates us from God, who's the source of life and who's, who's perfect. And it brings death. And no matter how hard we try, we can't avoid it by our own strength, by anything that we do, by any kind of man-made religion or ceremonies. But because of that bad news, there's the good news that God the Father sent God the Son to be our Savior, and he was born 2,000 years ago. And the second word is Christ. Jesus is our message because he's Christ. It's not his last name, Jesus Christ, but it's actually a title that means Messiah, anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there, there were three anointed offices that were all meant to point forward to Christ. The office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. And Jesus is our prophet who, who reveals the Father to us. And he, he is our priest who intercedes for us, who pours out his, his blood as a substitute. He is our king 
who rules and governs and defends us with his loving hand. And then the third word is crucified. Jesus Christ is our message because he was crucified. Every sin that we commit deserves eternal death. And the Bible calls that reality hell. And Jesus was perfect. He never sinned once in his entire life. But he was condemned as a sinner. He was nailed to a cross. And in that moment, he took hell upon himself. He took all the sins of his people upon himself and bore the wrath of God against those sins, and he died. But then thankfully, he he didn't remain dead. He he rose from the dead in, in victory over sin, over death, over the devil. And he proved that, that he, he really is Jesus. He really is our Savior. He really is Christ. He really is the Messiah. He is our prophet. He's our priest, and he's our king. The message of Jesus Christ crucified is the, the best news in the world and the universe. And this is why Paul centered everything on Jesus. Of course, it doesn't mean, though, that, that he only preached just kind of boring three-point sermons where he just said, you know, Jesus is Savior, he's Christ, and he was crucified, and then sits down. He, he says in Acts 20, verse 25, that he didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Yet, as he declared the whole counsel of God, everything came back to Jesus as the foundation. So here in, in our context, as he's confronting divisions, he reminds them of Jesus Christ crucified. Later, when he addresses sexual immorality in the church, he reminds them of their union with Christ, that they're united to Christ, and therefore they should honor him with their body. In chapter 11, he confronts uh, socioeconomic divisions around the Lord's Supper, and he reminds them that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed. Paul Tripp, a a pastor, says, the biblical drama puts Christ alone on center stage. Every mini-drama within the grand drama points to him and our need of him. Every good principle looks to him for its wisdom and for grace to carry it out. Every promise is rooted not in mechanical natural law, but in his redemptive acts for his people. Narrative preaching says with Paul, for I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The grand story is his story. So have you decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified? And if you say, no, I, I, I don't know Christ, then, then it's incredible for you to know that he knew you before the foundation of the world. And he, he's calling you in love and inviting you to trust in him, to, to, to admit that, that you can't do anything on your own and that he is all and in all. And the incredible thing is that when we trust in him, all our sin is counted to him on the cross and his perfect righteousness is counted to us. And as God looks on us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of his son. But most of us in this room claim to be Christians. We say, yeah, we we know Christ. 
And I'm sure that the, that the Corinthians in their formal theology would have said, said yeah, we, we believe in salvation through faith alone and Christ alone for God's glory alone. But then in the way that they were actually living, they proved that they were centered on all kinds of things besides Jesus. Their, their divisions prove this. And so we need to ask ourselves what in our lives may be proving that we're centering on something other than Jesus. Is Christ crucified really what you want to talk about? Or are we more interested in talking about ourselves or our family or, or our interests? Does every argument come back to Christ? I mean, that would be a great exercise um, this week to ask someone close to you, hey, do all of my arguments come back to Christ? Is that the foundation of how I think in every part of my life? And I think that if we're honest, we'll, we'll see that we all fall short there. Uh, and so, so we need to, to pray like the, the Puritan who said, Take away my roving eye, curious ear, greedy appetite, lustful heart. Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support a tottering frame or uphold a departing spirit. Take me to the cross and leave me there. Because it's only at the cross that we can become humble yet bold evangelists. Because when Christ crucified is our message, as one pastor says, we're just hungry beggars showing other beggars where to buy bread. We can't pretend that we're we're better than anyone else. I am so bad that the Son of God had to die to redeem me. And so I have no grounds on which to be arrogant. But at the same time, we can be bold when Jesus Christ crucified is our message because we're reconciled to the Father. We have access to God. We are so loved that the Son of God was willing to die for us. And that, that's, that's incredible. We're loved, and that should make us want to, to go offer that love to others as well. I mean, think if you had a, a terminal illness, and then you found a medicine that was able to heal you, you would want to go and give that to everybody you know who was suffering with the same condition. Even if they were skeptical or maybe not that interest, interested, if you love them, you'd want them to experience the same healing power. But of course, when, when we actually take the message of Jesus Christ crucified onto the mission field and, or to our job, Sometimes it feels like it's this incredible message that it'll just eventually run out of gas. Is there actually power in this message? Uh, A few months ago, I I was with a friend in Philadelphia, uh, a neighbor, and we went to the Philadelphia Art Museum. We were driving back together, and, and I asked him if he believed in God, and he said, yeah, I usually don't talk about it very much, but when I was young, I, I had asthma. Uh, I prayed to God that he would heal me. I said, I'll never ask anything again and if you do this one thing. And, he believed, and his, his asthma went away. Uh, and so he said, but I, I would never, ever go back to God or ask God anything else again because it was this kind of pact with God. It, and, and so there, there was the moment where I thought, okay, you know, I, I need to, this is a moment to, to say that the message of Christ crucified. And so I said, you know, I know that's not true because Jesus 
came and he, he died for us, that we can actually have access to God as our Father and go to him over and over again and not just once. And, and then his I, I'm talking to a crazy person alarm went off, and, and it, it was really awkward and kind of cut the conversation short. And, and so I went away feeling kind of awful, like oh, maybe this wasn't the best time to say this. And, um, and, it, and it felt like there wasn't power in the message at that moment. And this brings us then to our third and final point. We can be humble yet bold evangelists because the message is empowered by the Spirit. Look with me at verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. So that's what we've been saying, that he was not the message. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. A demonstration. This is the first time that the the person of the, the Holy Spirit appears in the book of 1 Corinthians. And of course, if you know the book, he becomes an important theme uh, throughout the rest. But here, Paul's saying that, that the preaching of Christ crucified, it, it's not mere words, but it's a demonstration. If you go to a lecture, you expect words. But if, if something's advertised, this is a demonstration, and you go, you expect something to actually happen. And what Paul is saying is that the, the preaching of Christ crucified is it's not mere words, it's actually a demonstration. Something is actually happening. But the question is how? Well, according to Scripture, we're all spiritually dead, which means that we actually can't believe by our own strength. Paul says this actually just a few verses after our text. If, if you look at verse 14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see what he says? They cannot understand. Jesus says it like this, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. As much as we might try to believe by our own strength, we actually can't. God gives a picture of this in the Old Testament, in, in Ezekiel 37, the, the Old Testament prophet is, is given this vision of a, a valley of dry bones. And God says to the prophet, can these, these bones live? And he says, Lord, you know. And then God says, prophesy over the dry bones. And as he prophesied, the Spirit of God blew. And, and God demonstrated his power. And it, it, the sinew and the flesh came on and, and it raised up into an incredible army. And as Paul proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ crucified in Corinth, the Spirit of God blew over the bones of spiritually dead people and brought them from death to life and demonstrated his power. And for those of us who are believers, every single one of us has experienced this demonstration of the Spirit's power. Every single believer is a miracle of spiritual resurrection. And do we believe that 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 miracle will happen to others around us? This is why I love to to hear people's testimonies about how God brought them to faith. I'm part of a prayer group at Westminster Seminary, and and we've, we've shared testimonies. And some of the guys have this incredible experiences of, where they're going one direction and God ripped them out of their path um, into himself. 
And, and for me, it, it was gradual. I, I was baptized as an infant, and my parents prophesied that the message of Christ crucified over me as a child and brought me from spiritual death to spiritual life by the Spirit's power. In the same case, it's every case, it's, it's the same ultimate thing, that it's the Spirit empowering the message. And this truth should make us humble evangelists because our eloquence can't, can't save anybody. It's, it's not the way that we save, say somebody or that we say a particular thing. Uh, it, it's only the Spirit's power that can ultimately raise people from, death, from the dead. But at the same time, this truth should make us bold evangelists uh, because the message is empowered. I mean, th- think of, um, it's not like a spell in Harry Potter where you just say the word and something happens. But Paul says in Romans 1 that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And isn't that exciting that we get to, to spread a message that God has promised to empower and, and through which he has promised to demonstrate his might and glory? So just as we close, I, I just want to point you to the, the final verse of our text, verse 5. So Paul, Paul says that he was a humble yet bold evangelist, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And that's really what we're after, that we wouldn't rest on men's power, but on the power of God. But ultimately, though, we, we don't look to Paul as our example. Ultimately, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ himself because he is the, the humble lamb who is slain, and he is the bold lion of the tribe of Judah. May he be the, the central message of our life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are and, and that you have demonstrated your love, you have demonstrated your, your faithfulness. Even though we are these weak fearful people. And Lord, I pray, though, that you would give us the the humility and the boldness to, to live out in the world, out of the reality of what you have done for us on the cross. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's continue 